Well, good morning, everybody. We're going to read uh, the entire chapter of John 15, and then in Steve's message, he'll be focused on the first part of it. So. I am the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he has thrown away a branch, and it dries up, and they gather them, and they cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my word abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as my Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will, be able, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken so that my joy may be in you and that your joy uh, may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has, none, has no one than this, that one day lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain. So whatever you ask of the father... In my name may he give you. This I command you that you, must, that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I choose you out of the world, because, this is what, because, this, because of this the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done uh, among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned, but now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in the law. They hated me without a cause. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from my father, that is the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he will testify about me, and you will testify also, because you have been with me from the beginning. You may be seated. Good morning. The last sentence of chapter 14. Arise, let us go from here. Whether Jesus and his disciples are in the process of leaving the upper room or whether they are already on their way to the garden. Text isn't clear on exactly where Jesus is as John 15 opens, but notice what comes next at the conclusion of John 14. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. You know, not too long ago, there was what we typically refer to as a Last Supper. Luke records these words in his gospel. Luke 22, 14 through 17. When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. The twelve apostles with him. 
Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. If it is true that Jesus and his disciples had already left the upper room, it's possible knowing how frequently Jesus taught along the way, that he saw one of the many vines prevalent in Israel. And he used that visual as a teaching for his disciples. And keep in mind, church, the context of John 13 through 17. These chapters display the heart of Christ before the cross. The words and actions of Christ are coming here as a prelude to Calvary. What he says now, he says to those who will remain behind. The instructions here are intended to bolster the faith of his followers. Helping them understand what's about to happen to him. And he's talked about this on three different occasions about he's going to suffer. He's going to be killed. Three days later, he's going to rise. No doubt that was part of his communication here. But I also see, especially here in John 15, instruction for his followers, helping them overcome, we talked about last week, their troubled hearts. Pointing them to the time when they would be on their own, apart from Christ physically being there. Equipping them with hope and encouragement. Providing for them an anchor for their soul. Assuring them of his presence long after he leaves the earth physically. And you know, I got to thinking, isn't that the longing for the child of God? To to experience the presence of Christ in his life every day? As a redeemed child of God, is it a daily desire to walk in what Paul refers to as the newness of life? Romans 6, 4. As one of God's own, do you delight each day that God, by His grace, has made you alive? He's made you alive. Ephesians 2. Verse 1, we who are dead, God has made us alive. He set you free from sin and death. And you know, in light of what you see happening all around you, is there this hungering, is there this thirsting for more of Jesus in your life? Reminded of the psalmist of the deer panting for water so my soul longs after you you see the disciples are about to witness Jesus going to the cross he's leaving but the presence of Jesus would remain see in John 14 18 Jesus says I will not leave you as orphans I will come to you and so right here we ought to be praising the Lord for the ministry of the Holy Spirit Jesus is not going to leave us as orphans He's going to come. We're on the other side of that. We are now recipients of that good news. With such a presence abiding within you, how is it then that so many who speak of being a Christian are merely content hanging around the values of Christianity. You you might like what Christ promotes. You might think his teaching is solid. His teaching is right on point.
perhaps you like the impact his words have on your own children. They're morally sound. You might even attend a church gathering because of the influence of Christ's teaching. Perhaps you come because you know it's expected. You've come to check the box of your Christianity. Question, did God send his son to die for you, to pay the penalty for your sins? Did he do that so that you could continue masquerading as a child of God? You see, the message of John 15 is a call to those who are Christians. It's a call to those who are Christians. Jesus is speaking these words to the 11 who are now following him. And the instruction is, is simply rooted in this, in summary. Abiding in me, Jesus says, is the only way to produce fruit in God's kingdom. My Father and I are at work to see that you abide and produce fruit. When you produce fruit, you glorify the Father and show yourselves to be my disciples. That's the essence of of this passage. So right out of the gate in John 15, verse 1, he's defining a relationship here. Defining a relationship. John 15, 1 says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Now, the visual here of the vine, the vine dresser, the branch, the pruning, the taking away, the cleaning, the fruit, all, all these images, word pictures, for many Christians today, tending to vines is, is an unknown commodity. Now, I realize there are some of you out here that are in the know on this. But I would say, by and large, many of us are in the dark on what this is all about, tending the vines. How do we do that? What's that look like? We need to remember that when Jesus is teaching this to his disciples, this was a very familiar image. In fact, we can look, and if we we had time, we could take just a journey and look in the scriptures. There are passages, several, in the Old Testament that speak to Israel, being a vine. The sad commentary about many of those passages, Israel being a vine, here's the sad commentary on those. Oftentimes, when it's brought up that Israel is being referred to as this vine, it's being mentioned from the standpoint that they are being unfruitful. And now what we have right here in John 15, we're going to see another side of this vine Jesus is going to bring forth. But I want you to understand that for Jesus to put forward this picture, this this image, illustration of the vine and the branches, this would have been very familiar to his followers. Maybe foreign to you, but very familiar to his followers, this image of the vine. You see, we need to understand that the grapevine, this sounds so simple, But sometimes the real simple things, we just need to absorb those simple things. The the, the grapevine is intended to produce grapes. Sounds real simple. That's what it does. Before the grapes come, we need to understand there is plenty of preparation that goes on behind the scenes. And this is wonderful. The vine dresser, you see, takes great care in the planting of the vines and preparing the soil, cultivating the ground, tending to each plant as a shepherd might tend to each one in his flock. You see, the vine dresser knows the vineyard, he knows the plants he's planted. He knows everything about them. 
So here in John 15, 1, Jesus identifies himself in relationship to his Father. This is nothing new. He's been doing it all along in John's Gospel. Okay, so if you read the Gospel of John in particular, you quickly notice the relationship Jesus has with his Father. In fact, his identity is revealed time and again in connection with the Father. His witness points to the Father. He is sent by the Father to do his work. His words come directly from the Father. All the while Jesus walked this earth, he made it a priority to walk according to the Father's plan. In some sense, you could say, Jesus abided in the Father during his short stay here on earth. The text says Jesus is the true vine. True vine. He's genuine. Real. The one you want to be connected to. You see, the problem many of us have today is that we desire to get connected and hooked up to someone or something else. Maybe today you find yourself hooked up with someone or something else other than the true vine. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Notice that his father is the vine dresser. You see, they work together for the same purpose. They work in unity with one another, and yet they function in different roles. And we keep reading to see how the vine dresser and true vine, how they operate. Look at 2 and 3. It says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So, after identifying the role of Christ and the Father... Jesus then speaks of every branch in me. Now, if you don't read the entirety of the passage, you might be inclined right here to read this verse and think Jesus is speaking of himself. That the Father is taking away, pruning the branches in Christ's life that need work. Well, the context would lend itself to a different interpretation. Every branch in me is a key to understanding the passage. And we're going to see here in just a moment, as we read the next few verses, we'll be able to fill in some some blanks, perhaps. But going back to verse 1, we need to remember the roles that have been given to us here. The Father is the vine dresser, and Jesus is the true vine. So every branch in me speaks to those who are attached to the vine, being Christ. Just as a what's to come preview, you can look at verse 5. We're, we're going to get there in just a moment. But this reminds me of Romans 6, where Paul speaks of our union with Christ. In verse 11 he says, Likewise, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed, dead indeed to sin, but alive to God, here it is, in Christ Jesus our Lord. And even back in Romans 6, 4, where Paul says that we should walk in newness of life, the prerequisite, get this, the prerequisite to walking that way is being in Christ. Walking in newness of life only happens as you are united with Christ. Walking in newness of life is the product of one operating in the newness of the Spirit. That's how it happens. John 15, 2 speaks to two kinds of branches in the vine. It also speaks to how the Father handles such branches that exist. So you have two kinds of branches spoken of here. You have every branch in me that does not bear fruit and every branch in me that bears fruit. And then you have two ways the vine dresser addresses these branches. He takes away. He prunes. That's his work, the vine dresser. So Jesus begins this teaching with his disciples by speaking to the branch that does not bear fruit. 
A branch in the vine that does not bear fruit. How does the vine dresser handle such a branch in the vine? Keep in mind the text says, every branch in me. This, this branch is in the vine, but not producing fruit. We need to understand that the vine dresser is at work here. He's working through the true vine, cultivating and tending to the branches in the vine. And so to say at once that Jesus is advocating that a branch in him is taken away, we need to be careful and we need to remember what the testimony of Scripture says about one who is truly in Christ. John 10, 27 to 29, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Well, what about Romans 8, verse 1? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Or what about the end of Romans 8? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, if the testimony of Scripture is such that one in Christ cannot be separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus, if no one is able to snatch one in Christ from the hands of the Father, then to what degree is the branch spoken considered to be in verse 2 in me? To what degree? Is, Is the branch... Merely in proximity to the vine? Is is the branch characteristic contextually? Think about it. Is the branch characteristic of one Judas Iscariot? One who hung around the vine? But the testimony of Scripture is one that we don't see much, if any, fruit from Judas. You know, it's a a frightening thing to see that someone can be with Christ for so long and yet not bear fruit. And while we may put out Judas as a name, hey, I bet, I guarantee you, each one of you here can think of someone, maybe it's yourself, who has been a Christian for 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 plus years. Where's the fruit? Where is it? So someone can be in the presence of Christ and yet not be in Christ. How, how, how is that? How, how so? I believe the text would tell us they're not connected to the vine. That's the, that's the whole point of the teaching right here. If, if you are abiding, we're going to talk more about that in a moment. But if you're abiding in Christ, you will bear fruit. If you're not abiding in Christ, you cannot bear fruit. You see, the usefulness of the branch, and that's what you are, that's what I am, a branch. The usefulness of the branch depends upon its attachment to the vine. The branch that does not bear fruit, he, that's the vine dresser, he takes away. Now why would he do such a thing? Is he just being cruel? Does God just take delight in removing certain branches from the vine? Here's what he delights in, according to the text. He delights 
in keeping his vine. He tends to it with great care. The goal being this, branches that produce fruit, fruit producing branches, you know what they do? They give the Father glory. That's what they do. So it makes good sense. If we really think about it, it makes good sense that he would want to just do away with branches that aren't producing any fruit. And by the way, if we continue to question why God would do such a thing, we need to be reminded of Romans again. Romans chapter 9, and ask the question, who are you? As the clay, to question what the potter might do. If we think about it on the other end, non-fruit producing branches do not give him glory, church. This is it's not a matter of God being unfair. It is instead better understood when you recognize who God is, you recognize who Jesus is, when you recognize what it means to be in Christ. To be in Christ is to be about the Lord's work. It's a new life now that I live. The life I live in the flesh, I now live by faith in the Son of God. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. You see, I'm walking right now according to a new master, a different master, and my walking is to look a lot like Jesus, church. A non-fruit-bearing branch is taken away by the vine dresser. I believe in large part because because he's an imposter. (laughs) A good tree, Jesus says elsewhere, produces what? Good fruit. A bad tree produces what? Bad fruit. This is not real difficult. I believe this is simple for a reason. Okay? And he goes on, he says, a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Cannot. It's impossible. Notice John 15, verse 2, also speaks of a branch that bears fruit. Look what the vine dresser does with such branches. It says, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. He prunes. He prunes. I, I, I love this. I, I really do. This, is, this was wonderful to really look at and, and, and see clearly this week. Uh, just in thinking about pruning, a simple definition, idea, it develops in thinking of a tree and how you would prune a tree. I have no, no idea how to prune a tree. I'm going to be real honest. I have no idea. I just, get, I just get out there and just whack them. I know that's the wrong thing. I know. I don't have a clue how to do it. Some of you, if you know how to do it, you can let me know. Be glad to find out how to do it. But if I got one that's too long, I just flop it off. All right? But pruning develops a strong tree framework in order to get high-quality fruit earlier and ensure longer life of the tree. It's important to note this about pruning. If you don't hear anything else, I hope you hear this this morning. Pruning is part of abiding, not an indication of not abiding. I'll say that one more time. Pruning is part of of abiding. It's part of that abiding, not an indication of not abiding. Okay, so the vine dresser is about providing the best opportunity for his branches to bear fruit, that they may be about giving God glory. The branches that do not produce fruit, and we're going to see just a moment why they do not produce fruit, he takes those away. And the branches that do produce fruit, he prunes. Why? There's a purpose for pruning, church. That they may bear more fruit. Look at this. You've got fruit, you've got more fruit, You've got much fruit. That's what the text gives us here. Fruit, more fruit, much fruit. All to the the Father's glory. All to the Father's glory. Now, 
we need to understand that the vine dresser prunes as he sees fit. And that's an important part right here for, for you to see. See, the, the pruning he needs to do in you, it's possible you may not like it. It's possible might make you feel a little uncomfortable. It's possible his pruning may not add up or make sense to your own way of thinking. You, you've been walking with the Lord and, and all of a sudden the Lord does some pruning in your life. I want you to find hope right here in the text today that the vine dresser is the father and he's the one doing the pruning in your life. So if he's pruning some areas of your life right now, take delight and remember that his pruning is intended to produce more fruit in you. Isn't that great? I hope it changes our perspective on the pruning. Look at John 15, 3. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So, so now turning to his disciples, he declares them to be clean. By the way, the word clean there comes from the same, same root word as prune. Okay? So back, in fact, if you flip back to John 13... This was important. A few weeks ago we talked about this. Jesus says in chapter 13, verse 10, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. But not all of you. Now, we need to remember, two chapters later, Judas is gone. Okay? Judas is gone. The words are directed at the 11 now that follow Jesus. They are clean, but notice... Notice what's made them clean. He says, because of the word which I have spoken to you. The word. The embodiment of the word spoken to them over the period of time that Jesus had spent with his disciples. His own words have cleansed them. They've been pruned by the word of Jesus. And we need to ask the question. Has that same word has it, has it ever cleansed you in any way? Has it had any pruning effect in your life, this word? Can you point to and right now maybe even jot down, what are some ways in which this word has had an effect on my life in terms of how I operate? I want you to note here that Jesus does not just speak the words and say, you are already clean, to indicate, let's be clear on this, he doesn't speak those words to indicate that the disciples, the 11 now, were, were off the hook in terms of living productive lives in Christ. You're, you're already clean, as though, stamp, now you can live however you want to, right? That's kind of the Paul, what Paul's getting at in Romans 6. You know, it, shall we keep on sinning that grace may increase? No, Jesus is not saying, you're already clean, you got everything taken care of, now you can just live on your own, how you want to do it. No. They were not given a license to live haphazardly because of what Jesus said. You are already clean. No, no, the cleansing that had come had come through the word. And as the gospel account unfolds, the cleansing continues to have an effect on these disciples. And it must have the same effect on you as well. This word. You see, this is not a one-time cleansing, but an ongoing, sanctifying cleansing carried out by the vine dresser for the purpose of bearing more fruit. John 15, verse 4, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. That word abide, one writer speaks to this, gives us some helpful um, definition, if you will. He says, in the language of the New Testament, it is the ordinary word for stay or continue or dwell. Jesus meant stay in me, continue in me, keep me for your dwelling. It is the lifelong extension of encountering Jesus. And he goes on and he says this about abiding in Jesus. This is good. He says, 
Abiding in Jesus means staying vitally connected hour by hour to the one who alone produces in our lives everything he demands. That's abiding in Jesus. The imperative right here in verse 4 is to abide. The imperative. Imperative, in case you don't know what imperative is, it's a command. It's not an option. It's a command. To abide. The charge for the follower of Jesus is to abide. Again, that's not a one-time charge. Abiding implies a place to stay, a home, a home, a place where you settle in. Abiding is not something that you do on Sunday only. Abiding is intended for each disciple of Jesus. This is not just for a select few. There are no exceptions here. Abide in Jesus. Now I want you to notice the words that come right on the heels of the imperative in, in verse 4. It's intended here, this, this analogy, looking back at the vine and the branches. It's intended to help reinforce the principle of abiding in Jesus. He's, take the branch. Jesus says, it cannot bear fruit of itself. Remember, that's what the vine dresser is after, fruit, much fruit. The branch must be vitally connected to the vine or else it withers up and it becomes good only for fire. It's not good for anything. But the father, for the Father's purposes, it's not, it's not going to be good for anything in that regard. The branch of the vine, if not plugged into the nourishing, life-producing vine, is worthless on its own The branch is powerless. It's useless. It's like the salt that loses its saltiness. What good is it? John 15, 5 continues this idea. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. So, John 15, 1, define the relationship of the Father and the Son. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. John 15, 5 reveals your relationship with the Father and the Son. Shows how you fit in here. It's here in John 15, 5 where you find out how you fit into the picture. Verse 2 spoke of every branch in me. Every branch. That's you. The branch. And verse 5 brings out this clearly. Jesus is defining the relationship. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. And so understanding the relationship now. Jesus is the vine. You are the branches. Notice what happens when you abide in Jesus. And he and you. text says... Bears much fruit. He who abides in Jesus, and Jesus in him, bears much fruit. Now the wording here leaves open the possibility of one not abiding in Jesus, doesn't it? Verse 6 will address that. But there's a sharp warning at the end of verse 5. For without me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Now, obviously, you could do something without abiding in Jesus. You could go out and rob a bank this afternoon. You could. You could go home and play video games on your laptop all afternoon. You could do that. I wouldn't advise it. But you could do that. When Jesus says, without me you can do nothing, he's speaking of nothing in terms of fruit for the kingdom. Nothing of spiritual value is possible apart from abiding in the nourishing vine of Christ. 
You know, when I, when I go to referee a basketball game, I was reminded of this, and it was a really good reminder this week. But I want to abide with Jesus when I go work a game. Thursday, Evan, six-year-old, got to go with Dad to the games. I had two games that night, and it was just Evan. Maybe one of the first times Evan just has gone by himself. Usually if he goes, he goes with one of the big brothers. But on this particular night, he went by himself. We pulled into the parking lot of the gym. We got out of the car, and as we were walking into the gym, I asked Evan to to pray for our evening, that we could both be a witness for the Lord. And so there we were. We were were holding hands, walking into the gym, and and he just, you know, here's the thing. And I say this more just as as a proud dad. But, you know, he didn't, he didn't give a second thought to going, oh, Dad, here? Pray here? While we're out here walking? No, I said, hey, Evan, why don't you just pray for us before we go in here? We're walking along the sidewalk, getting ready to go into the gym. Why don't you just pray? We can just both be a witness tonight. And so he just starts talking to God. Prays for his dad, prays for himself, that he would be able to, to sit, be attentive, and be a witness. Praise the Lord. His witness was evident that night. And whether he realizes it or not, he's rehearsing, he's practicing, he's in the process of doing what this text in John 15 is talking to us about. It's abiding in Christ. Abiding. In Christ. And, and you know, as you think about it, do you consider abiding in Jesus when you leave the house? Do you consider abiding in Jesus when you go to work each day? Do you consider abiding in Jesus when you wake up in the morning, giving God thanks for another day, for the breath of life? Do you consider abiding in Jesus when you go to the store? Or how about for some of you young people, do you consider abiding in Jesus and what that looks like when you are preparing to take a final exam? Abiding in Jesus means staying vitally connected. Hour by hour to the one who alone produces in our lives everything he demands. Look at verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they're burned. I'd like to take this verse and put it alongside verse 2. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So how is it that a branch in the vine does not bear fruit? I believe verse 6 provides the answer. It doesn't produce fruit because he's not abiding in the vine. He might be familiar with the vine. He might live in close proximity to that vine. He might have knowledge of the vine. He's seen how the vine operates, and yet he remains unattached to the vine. He's loosely connected to the vine by name only. Seemingly content with that. You might recall the words of Jesus in Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7. 21 to 23, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But here it is. He who does the will of my Father in heaven. He who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. When Jesus says... Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. We we ask you, what is the will of the Father? Seems to me as we look back at John 15, 
It's calling for the follower of Jesus to abide in the vine of Christ. What a dreadful thing to go through the life that you have, the life that you've been given. What a dreadful thing to go through that life pretending to be in the vine, content with just knowing about the vine. Jesus demands his followers abide in him, to rest in him, to live their lives compelled by the love of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 14 and 15. John 15, 7 is a wonderful promise here. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you I'll ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. So I want you to notice something else that's added in verse 7. And my words abide in you. At this point, some of you may be asking, if bearing fruit is what the Father is after, and the call is to abide in the vine of Christ in order to bear any fruit, what then does it look like to abide in the vine of Christ? How exactly do I bear that fruit? What's that look like? I, I do believe the text provides two at least two, but two helpful explanations to these questions. One of which is right here in verse 7. To abide in Christ is to abide in his word. Okay? To abide in Christ is to abide in his word. You want to know what it looks like to abide in Christ? Abide in this truth. Rest in what the Word says. Trust that what it says is sufficient for your life. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Walk in the way of the Word of God. Because you see, this Word will serve as a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. It's going to sharpen you. It's going to strengthen you. It's going to breathe life into you. It's going to convict you. It's going to hurt. It's sharp. It cuts. It judges the heart's motives. A lot of us don't like that. But that's what the word does. By the way, it also will encourage you. It also will serve as a comfort for you to comfort others. 2 Corinthians 1. Verse 7 speaks of the power of prayer prayer of faith. We need to understand where that power comes from, though. It's not something we manufacture. It's for the one who abides in the vine of Christ. You know, this was interesting. Did you know that in the text, the text gives you two assurances. It's double assurance that your prayer of faith will be answered. By the way, when it says here in verse 7, Ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. This is not one of those rub the lamp and ask whatever I want to get whatever I want. No, no. No. The reason that he says ask what you want, the desire, right? It says here in the text, it says ask what you desire and it shall be done. The reason he says that is that you're connected to the vine. You're abiding in the word and we're going to find out in just a moment one other thing that you're abiding in. If those things are happening, you're going to have that same heart, that same mind operating in such a way so that when you pray, you're going to be in alignment and accordance to the will of the Father. But, but look, go back to this double assurance. Hang with me here. This is good. John 14, 13, Jesus says, And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Okay? Whatever you ask... In my name, that I will do, Jesus says. I will do. Look at chapter 16. And look at 23. And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give you. Oh, this is good. Here's the double assurance. Asking in his name. In chapter 14, Jesus says, I will give it to him. Chapter 16, the text says that the Father will give it to him. Now look at chapter 15, because this is wonderful. 
Because when we get to chapter 15, verse 7, it says that if you abide in Christ and his words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. It. That prayer. So here the emphasis is upon the prayer. It shall be done for you. John 14 and John 16 speak to the assurance that you have. It says, I will do. That I will do. And, and in chapter 16, he will do. The Father. So the Son and the Father, okay, are going to be doing these things. And whatever you ask, it will be done. Chapter 15 talks about. And we can be assured that it's going to be done. The Father and the Son both said so. That's good news. Look at verse 8. We're about done. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Okay, okay. So a disciple is characterized as a fruit bearer. Let's be real clear. We talk a lot about disciples. We talk a lot about discipleship, disciple-making, disciple-whatever, fill in the blank, disciple. It's, a, it's like a buzzword. John 15 seems to be pretty clear on characterizing a disciple. A disciple is characterized as a fruit-bearer. A disciple is not characterized here in the text by a regular church attender. A disciple here in the text is not recognized as someone who's, who knows all 66 books of the Bible. See, to bear fruit is to glorify the Father. To bear fruit requires abiding in the vine of Christ. And to abide in Christ means first that I, according to verse 7, abide in his word. The text of John 15 goes on to provide a second answer to that question of how to abide. If we look, just fast forward one verse to nine. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. So to abide in Christ, not only is it to abide in his word, but to abide in Christ is also to abide in the love of Christ. Do you appropriate each day in the love of Christ? Do you see that love Christ has for you? Do you live that as though it were true each day. You see, Paul says that the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us, Romans 5, verse 5. The love of Christ, church, is seen best on the canvas of the cross. The love of Christ is amplified at the cross. To abide in the love of Christ is to abide at the cross. Isn't that good? Because as we look to the scripture, we see, Paul says, that we are to be always carrying around in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 10. To abide in the love of Christ is to realize that even in your sufferings, taking the word from Paul to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.12, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him until that day, capital D. To abide in the love of Christ is to abide in the message of the cross, a message of foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, to us abiding in the vine, it is the power of God. So, the heart of Christ before the cross, Jesus is speaking to those following him. To be considered a disciple of Jesus, bearing fruit is a necessity. This isn't an option, according to what I'm reading here. Bearing fruit only comes as you abide in the vine of Christ. And to abide in Christ, you must abide in his love and abide in his word. And I love this because John 15, 10 draws these two things together. He says, if you keep my commandments, my word, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. John 15, 16 and 17, Jesus says this, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I chose you and appointed you. For what? For what purpose? That you should go and bear fruit. 
and that your fruit should remain. Why? That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. This is significant because he's getting ready to leave. He's not going to be there any longer. He's teaching them how to keep going. I'm not going to be here. But here's what you need to do. Here's how to stay connected to the vine. Here's how you're going to bear fruit. And remember, as you bear fruit, you're going to give God glory with your life, which is exactly what he wants you to do. These things I command you. Again, these things I command you. These things, it's not, these things, this would be a great idea. These things I command you, Jesus says, that you love one another. You see, one of the roles of the vine dresser involves making preparations. This is good. Involves pre making preparations for the planting of the vines. And if you've been to a vineyard, this picture might be familiar to you. The idea is to cultivate the vines in orderly rows. You ever been in a vineyard when you've seen just, you can just look and you just see the rows and you just see them all the way down. It's a beautiful picture. You know, to the human eye, you can stand at the end of the row and, and look down and you can see the path of the vines, row after row of straight, cultivated vines. And, and I leave you with that picture, church. The vine dresser is not content just having a few decent vines, branches plugged into that vine, if we go back to John 15. He's not content with just a couple of them. His desire is to produce fruit-bearing branches, branches that abide in the vine, that draw their nourishment from the vine. And as you consider the pruning work of the vine dresser and the intended results that he's after, what a joy to see the row, to see the row, and to see the row, see them all lined up looking good. And it's not just a look on the outside. No, with our human eye, we can see the outside, and we see they're all straight, and that's a wonderful thing. But there's much more than that, because they're straight, they've been pruned, they've been cared for and tended by the vine dresser. And in being cared for by the vine dresser, we can be assured that they're going to then be producing fruit if they're abiding in that vine. Church, abiding in the vine is not to be done solely as an individual. The body of Christ is called to abide in Christ. Christ was about to leave by way of the cross. And the heart of Christ to his followers was simply this. Abide in me and go bear fruit. This fruit should remain ongoing fruit producing. Or maybe taking a page of John the Baptist here. Let's be about bearing fruits Worthy of what? Repentance. Or that Galatians 5, 22 and 23 kind of fruit. You remember that? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You see, abiding in Christ produces this kind of fruit, church. And Paul says in that Galatians chapter, he says, you know, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. This is something we do together. We do together. Let's abide in the vine together, manifesting the life and the fruit of the Spirit. And may in all things the Father get glory through your life. Let's pray. Father, I am grateful for your word and I thank you for this text. I thank you for the life that you give to us. I thank you for the word that you've breathed into us. Thank you, Lord, for preserving your word. May we as a body abide in this word. May we abide in your love. And as we do those things, Lord, abide in the vine of Christ. May we be content allowing you as the vine dresser to do what you need to do, to prune where you need to prune, to take care of what you need to take care of in our lives, that we might then bear more fruit for you. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, the scripture says Christ died for us. Oh, Lord, thank you for that. 
Thank you so much for that. Thank you for the great salvation that you have provided for us. And may we never, may there never be a day that goes by where we are forgetting about that salvation. Oh Lord, I pray that we would be reminded to be vitally connected to the vine hour by hour, understanding that you are the one through your son Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit who gives us everything we need to produce these fruit-bearing lives. Father, thank you for this encouragement from the word. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.